So, we're going to talk about faith uh, in conjunction with works. And Kelly did read from uh, Hebrews 11 this morning, and that's uh, known as, in some circles, as the, the Faith Hall of Fame, so to speak. A lot of different characters are, are mentioned who have great faith. And when, when you read uh, Hebrews 11, one thing that jumped out to me uh, in it is that uh, the people that it talked about, okay? Uh, these are people who practiced their faith, but none of them were really, there are a couple of kings mentioned, I guess, but most, most of them are really humble people, spiritually humble people, uh, humble not only spiritually, but in their, in their everyday lives. Um, people who made mistakes, uh, with the exception of maybe Enoch, who uh, says he was taken up and didn't see, see death, but uh, and Abel, who uh, uh, presented God with the proper sacrifices. But uh, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, they, they all had their challenges. They all had their challenges. But they're mentioned here uh, as people of having uh, great faith, uh, Rahab, uh, Gideon, uh, uh, David. Um, so I want you to keep that, keep that in mind. Um, in, in James, uh, the second chapter, it reads, if a brother or sister is poorly clothed, and this is James, the second chapter, uh, verses 15 through 18. If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacks daily food, and one of them says to them, go in, uh, go in peace, keep warm, eat well, but you do not give them what the body needs, what good is it? So also faith, if it does not have works, is dead being by itself. But some will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you faith by my works. So, it's talking there about uh, uh, faith and works. And when I read that, I say, well, what, do you, what, what does it mean here, faith and works? Uh, we're not really supposed to be trying to work our way uh, towards salvation. I mean, that was what was going on with the Pharisees there when Jesus walked the earth. I mean, the Pharisees felt that they were doing the right things, the correct things. They were, they were kind of working their way down a checklist of things that they should be doing. And that's what made them righteous. Well, <clears throat> if you tell me or someone tells you, I'm happy. Or if someone says to you, I'm angry or I'm upset, what does that mean? Usually when someone says that to you, um, there's some outward evidence that they're angry or that they're happy or they're upset. They're, 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 they're just not saying it. Because if they said, well, I, I'm happy, and they're just, oh, <laughs> that doesn't mean anything. They're not showing you anything. Um, it's usually an outward evidence of you know, a state of being happy or, or being angry. <clears throat> um, and when we state we have faith, uh, it shouldn't be an isolated state of intellectualism. 
And what I mean by that is, you know, just something that we've conjured up in our minds, something that we're saying that we are. Uh, I think faith should be a permanent condition. Um, and faith should be evident. When, when we say we have faith, it should be evident in us that we have that faith. Um, and that, that's, that's really what works are when I talk about scriptural works. Scriptural works are not deliberate, calculated reactions to personal faith. It's not like something that you're calculated thinking that oh, I'm going to do this and this way I'll show that I'm faithful or this way I'm being faithful. And scriptural works are not uh, an attempt to curry favor with God or people. So we're not doing works of faith because, you know, I want Kelly to see that, that I'm a faithful person. Okay, I want Blake to know that I'm faithful. We can say, well, well you know, he's, he's, he's a very faithful God. Or we're not doing it to curry favor with God either. Well, God, you know, look what I did. Um, it's kind of like the, 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 the two people who went into the temple to pray. And, and the Pharisee was basically trying to curry favor with God through his prayers. <clears throat> um, I think scriptural works are discrete, a byproduct of our individual faith. And what I mean by that, I mean by a byproduct. Um, a byproduct is a secondary result inevitably produced in doing or producing something else. So if we have true scriptural faith, our works are going to be inevitable. It's not going to be something we can conjure up or think about or calculate. Uh, we're going to do this. It's going to be just an inevitability of, of our lives. <clears throat> In other words, scriptural works are the consequence the consequences of our faith or uh, I don't know if I'm going to pronounce this correctly a corollary it's an amendment to a will uh, so it's, 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 a, it's, a, it's a direct natural result uh, uh, it's, it's, it's there and that's what our faith uh, should be so what I want to do this morning is examine uh, examples of works uh, produced by faith, uh, those inevitable natural consequences of, of great personal faith. And it's also kind of interesting this morning, uh, when I was putting this together, that I didn't, uh, a couple of the, the characters I'm going to talk about uh, this morning, we covered in our Bible class. Kelly covered a couple of them in our Bible class this morning. I'm going to talk about them from a little bit different vantage point. <clears throat> First one I want to talk about, let's turn to 2 Kings chapter 5. Second Kings chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. 1 through 3, or 1, 2, 3. Now Naaman, the commander of the king of Syria's army, was esteemed and respected by his master, for through him the Lord had given Syria military choices. 
but this great warrior had a skin disease. Raiding parties went out from Syria and took captive from the land of Israel a young girl who became a servant to Naaman's wife. She told her mistress, if only my master were in the presence of the prophet who was in Samaria, then he would cure him of his disease. So, have a servant girl. And what she's showing here is great confidence. Here she's showing great confidence in the prophet, in God's prophet. Um, she's showing without reservation, she has no question that she knows, she has faith that if, if Naaman uh, were in the, you know, with the prophet that, that he could help him and he would uh, be cured. There's absolutely no reservations in her thinking. So that's the kind of confidence I think that, that we should have and it's the kind of confidence that faith breeds. This kind of confidence is a byproduct of faith. This wasn't something that she was just calculating in her thinking. It was just a natural reaction, a natural result of the faith that she had. Um, no reservations about the Lord's power. In 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, verse 18, I think it, it, it states this very clearly. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. And so faith, a great spiritual faith, uh, creates a great confidence. Confidence is a work. Okay, It's a work of faith. Okay. Luke chapter 21, verses 2 through 4. And he, Jesus, also saw a poor, poor widow put, two small copper, put in two small copper coins. He said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has put in more than all of them, for they all offered their gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in everything she had to live on. So I think what this example is, is someone, this woman here, who is giving back to God from her poverty, okay, giving the very last thing that she has. And this is an example of great sacrifice. She's giving all to the Lord. She held nothing back. Um, and when we talk about sacrifice, sacrifice is, to me, is relative to the person. We've all been blessed with different gifts. We all have been blessed with different kind of uh, financial stations in life, different abilities. And so when we give back, we can only give back in, in terms of, of what we've been given. And those have been, been given greater you to give back greater. Those will be given left. You give a proportion in to what you, you've been blessed. And this is what this woman did. This woman did. It's great sacrifice giving all she had. Um, look at Galatians chapter 2 in verse 20. 
says, I've been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So the life I now live in the body, I live because of the faithfulness of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Now, Jesus uh, gave his life for us. And if we're true followers, if we, if we studied this morning uh, in Bible class and we've been studying uh, for the last few weeks, uh, we give in return. For to follow Jesus, sacrifice is part of, of following Jesus, and sacrifice is part of uh, faith. Sacrifice is a byproduct of faith. It's a work. Mark 10. Mark 10, verses 17 through 21. Now, as Jesus was starting out on his way, someone ran up to him and fell on his knees and said, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You have the commandments. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Do not defraud. Honor your father and mother. The man said to him, Teacher, I have wholeheartedly obeyed all these laws since my youth. And Jesus looked at him and felt love for him and said, You lack one thing. Go sell whatever you have and give the money to the poor and you will earn treasure in heaven, and then come and follow me. Well, this man here was talking about all the things that, that he had done uh, to serve God and to commit himself to God. And he com- committed all the, he knew the commandments. Do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not give false testimony, do not fraud, honor your father and mother. He said, I've wholeheartedly obeyed all these things. And when I was talking about the characters, the heroes in uh, Hebrews uh, 11 that Kelly read, um, when I mentioned that these were were humble people, what, what, what I meant by that in a way was that they weren't priests. They weren't priests or the, the leaders, religious leaders, who would be acutely aware of the commandments and regulations and things that should be kept. Uh, these people didn't act intellectually in, in, in showing their faith, okay? And the, the fellow here uh, the, who Followed, followed, chased Jesus down and, and said, you know, what must I do to be saved? He, uh, he, he was intellectually showing his faith, and that's what I meant by that. Um, but Jesus required something different. He, he required something more visceral, and he required something more visceral from us, something more innate, um, something more uh, precious uh, from us is desired by Jesus. And so, uh, which is different than the, the, the poor woman 
who put in just her, her too much. She gave all she had. This guy here uh, <coughs> is kind of just giving, I don't want to say superficially, but he's, he's following rules. Okay, and that's kind of the difference. Uh, okay, Acts. Let's turn to Acts chapter 23. <clears throat> Acts chapter 23, <clears throat> verses 12 through 22. And when morning came, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink anything until they had killed Paul. There were more than 40 of them who formed this conspiracy. And when, when they went to the chief priests and the elders and said, we have bound ourselves with a solemn oath not to partake of anything until we have killed Paul. Now you and the council request the commanding officer to bring him down to you, as if you were going to determine his case by conducting a more thorough inquiry. We are ready to kill him before he comes near this place. But when the son of Paul's sister heard about the ambush, she came and entered the barracks and told he came and entered the barracks and told Paul. Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the commanding officer, for he has something to report to him. So the centurion took him and brought him to the commanding officer and said, the prisoner Paul called me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commanding officer took him by the hand and withdrew, him and withdrew privately and asked, what is it that you want to report to me? And he replied, the Jews have agreed to ask to bring Paul down to the council tomorrow as if they were going to inquire more thoroughly about him. So do not let them persuade you to do this because more than 40 of them are, trying, are laying in ambush for him. They have bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink or anything until they have killed him. And now they are ready, waiting for you to agree to their request. And then the commanding officer sent the young man away, directing him, do not tell what you, that you've reported these things to me. Okay. Because of what Paul's been teaching, because of Paul's faith, and results of Paul's faith, people want to kill him. They want to assassinate him. They have this plot uh, all worked out. And they even went as far as to, to take an oath until you know, this is going to be carried out. They're serious about this. But Paul's nephew, Paul's uh, sister's son, Paul's nephew, uh, found out and he immediately uh, took action and, and, and to stop it. Uh, this is a uh, showing of great concern, uh, great concern for another individual. It was his relative for sure, but he didn't have to do it. Plenty of people, there were people who turned away from Jesus walked in the other direction when trouble came, okay? But he's showing great concern for another individual. Basically, he's going to help. He's there to help, okay? And our faith, through our faith, we have to cultivate or develop a willingness to help, you know, to assist other people, okay? Um, in Philippians chapter two, <clears throat> verses three through five, it teaches the Christian attitudes toward, you know, regarding others. It says, instead of being motivated by selfish ambition or vanity, 
Each of you should, should in humility be moved to treat one another as more important than yourself. Each of you should be concerned not only about your own interests, but about the interests of others as well. You should have the same attitude towards one another that Christ Jesus had. So if we're going to walk in Jesus' footsteps, Jesus was concerned to the point of sacrificing himself on the cross for us. So we have to have that willingness to help others. We have to have that concern for others. And that concern, that willingness to help, is a work. It's a byproduct of our faith, or at least it should be a byproduct of our faith. It shouldn't be something that, of course, if you're going to help somebody, you might have to plan certain things out, okay? An itinerary to help a, a, a person. But the desire to help someone should be a natural thing. It should be a natural uh, part of our faithful life and our faith. Okay, let's turn to Luke chapter 19. And then we discussed this in class this morning. This is Zacchaeus. <clears throat> when Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it, chapter 19, verses 1 through 8, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through it. Now a man named Zacchaeus was there. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was trying to get a look at Jesus, but being short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into the sycamore tree to see him, because Jesus was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down quickly, because I have to say I must say, I must stay at your house today. So he came down quickly and welcomed Jesus joyfully. And when the people saw, us, saw it, they all complained. He is gone to be a guest of a man who was a sinner. But Zacchaeus stopped and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, half of my possessions I give to the poor, and, I have and if I have cheated anyone, I am paying back four times as much. Okay. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. The Jewish elite and the Jewish people in general looked at tax collectors as reprobates. They basically cheated people out of their money. And by and large, they lived pretty good. They had material things. They looked at the tax collectors as sinners. As you know, when Jesus was having a meal, uh, they accused him of eating with tax collectors and sinners. So basically, maybe, they looked at tax collectors as lower than sinners, like a separate kind of kind of section, kind of a sinner, okay, for the tax collectors and sinners. Zacchaeus, we were talking this morning about whether uh, tax collectors were religious people or tried to keep the law. Well, obviously Zacchaeus understood enough uh, that he was interested in Jesus. And he went out of his way to try to see Jesus. I'm speculating here. It could have been maybe just a curiosity. Jesus was this kind of like celebrity in the area, so to speak, a celebrity. And maybe Zacchaeus just wanted to see who this guy was. Okay, But 
he also could have had kind of uh, religious uh, inclinations as well. But at any rate, he wanted to catch a glimpse of Jesus, and he climbed up. He was, he was a short guy, so he climbed up in a tree so he could have a good vantage point of Jesus uh, going by. And Jesus encountered him and, and uh, you know, pointed out, you know, what he was doing wrong, you know. And Zacchaeus uh, said <clears throat> he was open to what Jesus was teaching. And what he showed here was repentance. Jesus pointed out what he had done wrong, and Zacchaeus was willing to make a change. And he says, I, I, you know, if I've cheated anybody, I'll repay them, not only what I took from them, but even more. So uh, this attitude of restitution, of repentance, is part of our faith. It's a work of our faith. And Zacchaeus is showing uh, this here. Um, when we repent, when we show restitution to another person, to God, and we talked about this a couple of weeks ago in one of our classes, it's more than just saying you're sorry. Okay, that's kind of like I'm happy just saying it, intellectualizing it. Oh, I'm telling you that I'm sorry. Okay, but true restitution comes from your heart. It's an extension of our faith. Okay. Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9, verses 20 through 22. But a woman who had been suffering from a hemorrhage for 12 years came up behind him, came up behind Jesus, and touched the edge of his cloak. For she kept saying to herself, If only I touch his cloak, I will be healed. But when Jesus turned and saw her, he said, Courage, daughter, your faith has made you well. And the woman was healed that hour. Okay, this is a woman with a blood issue. She was continuously bleeding. Uh, uh, and I, she wanted to be cured from that suffering. And um, like I said, Jesus would pass through these towns, through these communities, and there would be a crush of people following Jesus. But she made her way close to Jesus, so close that she could, like, touch his cloak. And starts, she's, for one thing, I don't know, it doesn't say or give a description of, you know, what this woman looked like or how big she was or how small she was, you know, how strong or frail she was. But <clears throat> I know I've been in some serious crowds, okay, going to different events, Okay, and for instance, I've gone uh, down here to the Mercedes-Benz to see different events like you know, soccer matches and things like that, and there's some serious crowds, okay? I've been, lived in New York City, uh, and there's no crowd larger and more aggressive than the rush hour, evening rush hour crowd 
to get home, trying to get down into the subway and get on the train and get out of town, get out of Manhattan. And uh, sometimes you just got to go with the flow. Sometimes you can't fight it. You just got to go. And here was a woman who was trying to get to Jesus, probably in, in a huge, kind of an aggressive crowd, okay? And somehow she had the determination to make her way to Jesus to I just like touch his clothes and I can my malady will be 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 cured. Um, this woman had, had great hope. She had great hope. She, you know, the, 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 this was the answer. Maybe she didn't know that much about Jesus. Maybe she only knew superficial things about Jesus. And maybe what she'd heard about what happened in, in another town. But she had this hope that, well, this man can help me. And she made her way to Jesus and touched his cloak and she was, she was cured. Uh, she had a strong belief, you know, and that strong belief was the basis of her hope. Uh, and hope needs a strong, is a strong basis for faith. It's a byproduct of her faith. And that was in uh, Hebrews 1, the first verse, when it talks about uh, of faith, strong belief. Um, so let's turn to Luke again. We'll stay in, turn to Luke chapter 10. Luke 10. This is uh, the story of the Good Samaritan. We all, we all remember uh, this story. Uh, the Samaritans were uh, looked down upon by the Jewish people. And so Jesus uses this parable uh, to teach, I think, compassion. I think what he's teaching here is compassion. Um, there's also concern here. Uh, same concern that Paul's nephew had for another person. But this is compassion. Uh, someone of a group of people who despise you, look down upon you, and if you were, if the situations were reversed, probably wouldn't have stopped. They probably would have walked on by. As a matter of fact, people of their own group saw them, saw him, and walked by, okay? So, think about the second commandment, and Jesus taught that you should love your neighbor as you'd love yourself. Uh, and our neighbor is anyone who needs that love and that that, that compassion um, and that's a byproduct of our faith that compassion that I care attitude is a work and a byproduct of our faith and it's not something that's calculating I'm sure the Samaritan who came by and saw the man on the side of the street <clears throat> wasn't thinking that Oh well, if I go over and help this man and clean him up and pay for 
his medical bills that you know, people, people are going to like me now, okay? They're going to like me better. And I, I don't think that was what he was thinking. I don't think that's what drove him. It was uh, Jesus was teaching compassion as a part of our faith and understanding of him. So all this uh, culminates in, in, in great faith. Uh, and there's an example of that in Matthew uh, chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8, 5 through 10. And when he entered Capernaum, the centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, my servant is lying home paralyzed in terrible anguish. Jesus said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. And said, instead, just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to this one, go, and he goes. And to another, come, and he comes. And to my slave, do this, and he does it. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those who followed him, I tell you the truth, I have not found such faith in anyone in Israel. This is a man who uh, had great faith, and he, he related it to his own life. He understood. Um, it's the kind of faith that, you know, just say it, Jesus. If you just say it, it's done. Okay, he says, because I understand that. I have men, I understand authority. I have a certain amount of authority. You have the ultimate authority. You understood that. And when I say, I want this done, it's, it's done. And it's the same with you, and I understand that. And Jesus saw this faith in this man. <clears throat> it's kind of in John um, chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And then in Genesis 1, 3, and God said, let there be light, and there was light. Jesus was the Word. Jesus was God's Word. And when God spoke, it was done. The centurion understood this. And it was the culmination, probably, of, of all the, you know, his understanding, his great faith. But, you know, faith and works, I don't want to say, you know, it should be intuitive. Work should be intuitive of our faith. It shouldn't be something we have to think about. And, and we do have to cultivate it. We do have to read scripture and practice our faith when we have the opportunity. You know, Richard talks a lot about uh, helping people. Um, he's given any number of lessons about uh, being of service to people. And basically this is what Jesus was teaching. After he, uh, the, the, the uh, Sermon on the Mount, he gave some examples about sharing your cloak and turning your other cheek and it's just about your relationships with other people and helping people and regarding other people uh, more than you regard yourself and that's a tough thing to do because we all have 
we all have like like a super ego. We're you know we're kind of wrapped up in ourselves uh, more than than we want to probably admit. Uh, but faith is basically complete trust in what the Lord says. Faith is uh, complete reliance on the power of His Word, and His Word is that good news. His Word is that gospel. So we put our complete trust in the Lord. We trust in His Word, and most of all, we just we let Him work through us. Really, if you stop to think about it, if we're kind of calculating what we're going to do. We're actually not letting God work through us. We're actually kind of taking some sort of initiative ourselves, like we're going to do this. And that's not really how it, it, it's supposed to work. 